the challenge is is that my medium keeps me on the outside and I want to go inside. And so that was something I had to wrestle with over over many years and try to figure out strategies um, visually or technically um, to kind of talk about that deeper experience of yoga. Welcome to my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview people about the stress that is inherent in any creative work and how they come to terms with this stress and use it in the creative process. Today, I interviewed Andy Richter. Andy started taking pictures of yogis around the world in 2012 and has recently been profiled in the New York Times for his work. This interview is so interesting. Andy has spent time with yogis in caves in India and the stories he shares are absolutely fascinating. This guy has had an adventurous life. If you like this episode, please find us on iTunes or Stitcher and hit the subscribe button. Thanks and have a great day. My name is Andy Richter, and I am a photographer. I live and work in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and do a lot of my projects photographically all over the world. So the scope of my work is pretty broad, um, but I would say that I'm working in a documentary tradition, but I'm also uh, working with portraiture and um, trying to explore things in a, in a deeper, more essential way. Um, my interest in yoga, specifically with regards to photography, um, happened kind of organically. You know, I've been practicing yoga since 2004, and um, I began in an Iyengar tradition, so studying with an excellent teacher in um, Gunnison, Colorado, who was a student of Manuso Manos, who is one of BKS Iyengar's senior teachers in the uh, West. And so I was lucky to be introduced to yoga by someone, uh, this is Brenda Fleming, who's my teacher. And um, so for the first couple of years, I was really um, engaged in yoga, focused on alignment, um, focused on, you know, really holding poses for extended periods of time. And, um, you know, that was my, that was my foundation. And, um, you know, it was many years later, probably, you know, 12, well, eight years later that I really decided maybe photography would be um, a way that I could go a little bit deeper into my understanding of yoga. Mm. And so you started to travel all over the world, taking pictures of people in their yoga practices from all different cultures, right? Yeah, you know, I was interested in kind of getting away from the um, asana mm -hmm. posture um, emphasis, you know, with, with photography, you know, we're dealing with the outside of things, we're on the surface. And, and so my understanding of yoga led me to believe that so that's just kind of the entry point. Mm -hmm. And so, so I really wanted to go deeper into this, not stay with the body, not stay with these outer expressions, um, but really look at um, some of the traditions and the, uh, you know, historical context from which yoga was emerging, as well as, um, Kind of get into some of the more spiritual and esoteric dimensions of yoga. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you look at my book and you look at the, the exhibition of the work, you know you see just a few pictures of people doing what most Westerners would recognize as yoga, mm -hmm. and that's because I didn't want to stay there. Um, you know, I wasn't interested in pictures that have been done before. I was really interested in some of the inner uh, you know, transformations that were happening before me and trying to convey that in a photograph, you know? So, so it's, it's me in the room, in the space with permission to be there, but trying to work in a very subtle and a very intuitive and in a very um, respectful way because I'm trying to transmit something that's happening within the individuals that I'm photographing. So, 
the challenge is is that my medium keeps me on the outside and I want to go inside. And so that was something I had to wrestle with over over many years and try to figure out strategies um, visually or technically um, to kind of talk about that deeper experience of yoga. And what were some um, techniques? Um, I would say that light, use of light, use of um, color. Um, color can invoke, can really kind of make us feel or have an experience of something um, that isn't so intellectual, but maybe just more, it's, it's a sensory, a visceral type experience. And so, so using um, the time of day I choose to shoot, um, the types of light I like to work in um, to kind of point to that inner dimension. I mean, of course, the compositions help to um, sometimes point at that. Um, but uh, a lot of it actually is, is kind of me being tuned in as the photographer, um, me being aware of what's going on within the individual before me. Um, so I think that's where like having an intimate relationship with yoga myself was very um, informative and it, and it kind of allowed me to know where, where I can be in the room, when I can be there for how long is appropriate and when is it time to move on. Um, you know, um, you know, sometimes I would work uh, on a tripod and work very slowly because I would just set up and just kind of wait for things to kind of come. Other times I was working pretty quickly because I was in a situation where maybe there was motion involved or there was a lot of, you know, things happening in the room that I needed to be able to physically move myself. So, um, you know, I used different techniques or strategies depending on how much light was available and, and what I, what I could do, um, you know, and a lot of it really comes down to editing. Sometimes, you know, you you work and you work and you work and you make the pictures and then you figure out what's working. Um, how do these cohesively hold together as a body of work? Um, you know, so a picture that might be a successful image, that's not the only measure of whether or not it's worth um, including it in the book or not, or in an exhibition or not. It's it does it fit does it does it hold together is it um a different aspect of this what i'm trying to say you know is it necessary um i find that often less is more when it comes to the editing process and so sometimes i would just shoot and then figure out the details um at a later time yeah and what uh so you had this idea that you wanted to go start taking pictures of people in yoga practices, where did you start? Did you go immediately to India or did you start closer to home? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did a little bit of work in the U S not very much. Um, and then I was in Mexico for a while. I actually photographed a couple of different yoga retreats, which mm -hmm. is a common way for Westerners to engage in yoga where you, you know, take time off of your job and you just really focus on self-realization and often in a beautiful beach environment and with great food and company and like-minded individuals. Um, none of those pictures ended up in the book, um, not because um, I didn't like them. It just, it didn't really say what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did a, couple of different uh, retreats in different areas and and I wasn't um, uh, taking the retreat myself I was just there photographing oh. um, the yoga practices and then a couple of months after that I was in India um, I had worked in India a few times before but um, for different reasons so I decided okay it's time to go to kind of where this series of different practices emerge from and to kind of look at it um, and not necessarily like people practicing yoga in India but like 
this place was instrumental to the evolution of yoga. So I went there and then I would meet people and I would sometimes spend time with very highly realized gurus and saints. Mm. Um, and then I would look around at who's there, what's going on here. Um, I wasn't interested in just a catalog of pictures of uh, TKV Desikachar or BKS Iyengar or Patabi Joyce or these kind of really um, significant figures within the evolution of yoga. I was more interested in what what is going on here? Who are the people that are here? Um, what is a way that I can visually interpret these ideas that I'm starting to kind of um, explore? And so um, I was in Rishikesh, which is, you know, a common place for people to go um, because it is considered kind of the yoga capital of the world. Um, many saints and yogis have gone to the foothills of the Himalaya over many, many thousands of years to spend time in the forest in meditation. Um, Rishikesh is now a city, but I think back in the day when the Beatles went there to study transcendental meditation um, in the 60s, uh, late 60s, um, there wasn't a whole lot there at that time even. Um, it was a very remote place to go and it was the entryway to, to the Himalaya. So, um, People continue to go to these places that are, you know, I would say charged or have a certain maybe spiritual imprint and um, because they're going also seeking something. Um, the International Yoga Festival happens there every year in March, um, which is a really wonderful event hosted at uh, Ashram I've spent quite a bit of time in uh, called Parmarth Nikitan. Mm. Um, and, and so... I started doing some work in, in, in Rishikesh, but quickly it expanded way beyond that. Um, you know, as I started making pictures and was introduced to different people, uh, different doors and different avenues would open. Mm. Um, I started spending time with the Hare Krishnas down in um, Vindravan, which is a very holy place of pilgrimage for the Krishna consciousness movement and, and learning about bhakti and devotion and, and these um, other practices that I didn't really know um, were such an integral part of, of yoga. And, and oftentimes in the West, we would not understand them to be yoga. We would say, why are these people dancing or chanting or, or doing these different practices of service to other people? Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of um, the interpersonal um, and the, um, kind of devotional acts of, of what yoga is. Um, I then started spending time with the Sikhs mm. and learning about Kundalini yoga and um, a whole different lineage and a whole different set of traditions. So, so it, was, it was kind of starting. And then once I started, everything started to be revealed. Mm. You know, it, was, it wasn't really, um, you know, I had lots of lists of photographs I'd like to make. I had a lot of research done, but the scope quickly expanded way beyond that um, as I started to do the work. Um, wow. Uh, and so um, spending time with these realized beings and these people deep in practice who have no sense of like, I'm going to charge for this and do it in a yoga studio who are really in it for these really deep reasons uh, and kind of motivations did you have any kind of transmission of realization from that or how did it influence your practice? Yeah. Yeah, I was blessed. I mean, I was blessed by many, many people. Mm. Um, I think that the one thing that was consistent about the really, um, you know, holy saints and gurus um, mm. was that they had a innocence and a very childlike nature. Um, there was a certain kind of sweetness and joy and also a, a feeling that they weren't fully there, like almost like they were also in another dimension. Like they were, of course, sitting right across from me and we're doing an interview or we're having a conversation. 
but there was also this kind of awareness of this isn't all there is. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, um, I appreciated that. I mean, I had not been in the presence of too many people like that in my life up until doing this. You don't come across, um, this kind of individual in your daily life in the United States. I mean, and if you do, you recognize it because there's something different in terms of their vibration, in terms of their presence, in terms of their aura, in terms of the way that they project. And it's, it's a humbleness. Uh, it's a certain kind of um, egolessness mm -hmm. that's really kind of hard to put into words. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one example that would be, you know, illustrative possibly is that I was I was photographing with um, Swami Ramdev uh, at his Patanjali yoga piece and Swami Ramdev is a, is a man who in India is probably the most famous yogi of all he teaches you know tens of thousands of people in these yoga science camps um, he's kind of like a major spiritual figure in the country mm -hmm. with relation to yoga and especially pranayama. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was staying at his place, uh, which is this amazing complex, mm -hmm. uh, that has Ayurvedic treatments and all sorts of wellness and, and yoga and other things. Mm -hmm. Um, but almost like a clinical type setting. It doesn't feel like some luxury retreat in Mexico. It feels like, we're here to realize ourselves and to heal from whatever it is. You know, people are coming there sick and they spend time living there and they change their diets and their behaviors and then they leave and, you know, return home. So Swami Ramdev, he, I didn't see him for a few days and then all of a sudden it was time for me to start doing some work with him. And I made pictures for a couple of days with really amazing access. Um, photographed a women's science camp, uh, mm. uh, which was a yoga, basically a huge yoga event, uh, probably 5,000 people there. And, um, you know, I was, I was working hard during those days and really kind of just enjoying being with, with Swami Ramdev. And um, it was interesting because he was always kind of making jokes about how hard I was working and this and that, and how he like really saw the effort that I was putting into what I was doing. And, um, you know, there was a point where he offered me some fruits and some nuts and some milk and honey and, and these things. And he was actually serving them to me. He was offering me things. And this is the man that probably would be like, you know, a senior government official in terms of his importance in society. And he had plenty of people all around in the room that could have easily have given me whatever I needed and more, but he wasn't. He was actually the one who was, was taking care of me as his guest. And um, it was just a real act of generosity, but also just kind of that kind of humility um, that, you know, that you hear about with great spiritual spiritual leaders. And, you know, he's a controversial figure for many reasons. Um, I don't have opinions about why Swami Ramdev is or is not an enlightened being. And that's not really, but the way that I was treated and the way that um, I felt when we were talking and engaging with one another was really, it was really a unique window into what it's like to be um, kind of on a different wavelength. Mm. And, um, you know, there were many other instances where I was shown that kind of hospitality and humility. Um, you know, Swami, Radna Swami in um, Mumbai, I've spent quite a bit of time with him um, there and then also at the Kumela and other places and uh, in New York and stuff. And he also um, just has a certain kind of presence and the way that he communicates that's just very unique and um, and very um, to the point and to the truth of the matter. And, um, and so, um, how, how did, yeah, I feel, yeah. How did your yoga practice shift 
in in this this throughout this time period did you have a lot of kind of influences on your own yoga practice i know you said that you started out as more of a asana posture based with alignment now do you find yourself more spending more time in meditation or um in yeah. yeah yeah um i do i i'm actually doing a lot of kundalini yoga these days mm. um there was a period of time where uh, Vinyasa seemed to be kind of interesting to me, and then I reached a certain point where it was no longer doing a whole lot, and um, I felt a little bit of a plateau and um, stagnation, and just kind of um, started to get into Kundalini as Tapa Yogi Bhajan, and um, and that's a very comprehensive form of yoga. You're doing a lot of meditation. A lot of chanting, a lot of using the sound, using the body as an instrument for consciousness mm. uh, expansion. Um, so there's certainly a physical component, but so much more of it is happening on the inside now. Mm. Um, whereas before, it was definitely maybe a little more physically um, focused. focused practice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, that that just kind of came into my life at, at the right time. It was kind of like, okay, I need something different now. And um, these practices were here. Um, and did, did, and that, that, did that happen in when you were visiting the Sikhs in, um, I mean, I guess it would be Amritsar or somewhere on there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I spent quite a bit of time at the golden temple. I also went to a school um, called, um, Miri Piri Academy, which is in Amritsar. It's an international boarding school and children from all over the world come who are either from the Kundalini and Sikh tradition or not. Sometimes they just find the school and they want to go there and study um, because it's an interesting program. Uh, part of the curriculum there is learning all sorts of different uh, Sikh kind of traditions, um, one of which is um, teaching Kundalini yoga. And um, so by the time you graduate from high school at Mary Perry, you're, you're pretty real yogi and, and definitely certified as, to teach. Um, and those children are extremely mature, extremely um, conscious and awake um, mm. children. I was so impressed. Um, mm. And, you know, as as I've kind of gone down that track more, I mean, I've spent time with the Kundalini community in New Mexico quite a bit, um, a very large community uh, in Española mm -hmm. uh, and around that area north of Santa Fe. Um, I've, I've attended a number of their summer solstice events um, and have just really been embraced by that group of uh, really devoted yogis. Um, you know, these are people that are really committed to, to it. It's not like something you do between work and going out with your friends. It's like yoga as a truly life-transforming series of uh, practices and behaviors. And it, and it starts with, you know, the way that we speak to one another and the vibration of our thoughts. I mean, it's really, really subtle stuff. So um, mm. I think that's one thing that, is important to note is that um, over time we kind of go more and more subtle with, mm -hmm. with and that's that's been my experience um, you know we start with the body and then we kind of slowly go through these eight limbs of Patanjali's and 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 we kind of are are reaching into our depth uh, as human beings and so um, so yeah, you can stay on the surface with your yams and niyams and your, um, you know, asana, but, but I think it's all kind of designed to go beyond that. Um, and um, I think his expression of the, the eight limbs is really, it's, it's intended to describe this experience of, of waking up and of being, um, connected to ourselves in a state of union uh, where the filters and the chatter uh, 
are no longer the pre predominant voice, mm -hmm. um, where we're receptive and we are uh, tuned in to kind of what's really happening within us. Um, and then that, of course, affects our our words and our relationships and our actions. Um, you know, it's an incredibly, it's, it's a gift. Uh, yoga is a gift. And I feel just so fortunate to, to use my medium, to use photography in a way to kind of go into it and to really explore it and to um, have an experience of yoga that was so much more profound than I ever would have imagined mm. when I first started in 2012 making the pictures mm. you know and how so I have this question because uh, I feel it's happened to me a little bit I, I I guess you started out with Iyengar and you started out with a tradition so I never really started out with a singular tradition I was just kind of doing vinyasa yoga uh, yoga studios and then slowly it started to get more subtle and more deep, um, especially once I started to bring meditation into it. But I've had this kind of eclectic range of traditions in my life. And now for what I'm hearing from you, going to all these different kind of yoga traditions, and I mean, that's not even to mention Buddhist meditation um, and all these other, other types of avenues towards self-realization. Have you ever felt lost um, in this pr process of going through all these traditions and having these contradictory uh, statements and contradictory values kind of uh, confuse you? Have you ever felt that before? Hmm. Well, I think we're drawn to what we need. Hmm. So, um, you know, someone that is, you know, maybe super logical and intellectual might have a certain kind of draw toward a certain tradition. Hmm. People that maybe just in their heart are more devotional and more, um, you know, have a, a, a real heart-centered experience and existence, maybe they're going to be drawn to a bhakti tradition mm -hmm. or something that takes those types of forms. So, um, you know, the contradictions and, you know, I think there are contradictions sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, different traditions want to differentiate themselves from others a lot of times. Um, but I think at the core, um, if you are chanting the Maha Mantra in a bhakti tradition and you're setting your mind at a certain frequency and vibration, um, that's no different than the mantra that I'm chanting in my Kundalini tradition or somebody in even a Buddhist tradition. A lot of times they're basically bringing us to the same state, they're stimulating the same same parts of the brain. Um, they're working with the same types of neural connections, and um, mm. and they're and they're bringing us what we need. You know, so it's like we all speak different languages. We all speak different um, um, accents, or you know, we come from different histories. But I think that these different traditions kind of offer something to each of us. And we kind of have to find maybe the one that really resonates for us mm -hmm. as individuals. Um, but there is something for you. And I, and I think they, they kind of do the same thing. It's just maybe through slightly different uh, techniques or practices, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't, and I don't think, um, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I, Iyengar, for example, you know, when I spent time with him in Pune before he passed away, he's always going to be associated with um, use of the body as an instrument for, for consciousness expansion. You know, that's his kind of thing, the alignment, the importance of the prana flowing a certain way within the body and, you know, really being aware of the subtle things with, with where the body is positioned. Um, but that said, when I talked to him, when we spoke, um, I felt like he was very much a bhakti yogi and very much as tuned into the other areas of yoga as that, you know? So it's like, he'll be remembered in a certain way, but, but I think that he um, was a complete yogi. You know, he still did his devotional yoga. He still did the things in um, meditation and prayer on his own, you know, I mean, he'll be identified with the alignment and those kind of mm. practices, but, but I don't think that means that that's 
what he was all about and that was only what he was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, the same could be said of uh, other kind of known traditions, leaders of known traditions. I think that um, there oftentimes there's a lot more going on than just kind of what we've decided to put them into this box, you know, like that makes sense. So, um, and that's just my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but I think that's, what I've seen is that there's all these different ways to get to the same place. And that same place is um, this loss of the ego, this calming down of the chatter and this um, realization that we are one, um, like literally, you know, you and I, uh, anyone that's listening, um, that's, that's kind of, uh, what it's about. <laughs> so, I mean, we live in a time where it's like, oh, how am I different or how can I differentiate or this or that, but that's not really getting us what we seek. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's probably getting us further from mm-hmm. that. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what, um, so as your, as your definition or this kind of, as your, um, understanding of what yoga is, what have you found yoga is not? I would say that it's not um, exercise and it's not something that is going to, um, it will change your life if you let it. (laughs) It's um, kind of funny because it's really, you know, that might not be your intention. A lot of times people come into a yoga studio because it's like, oh, some friends are doing this, or I heard it would help with this back injury I have, or mm. um, it might be some way to kind of help me kind of stay a little more calm at work, or, you know, there's all these different kind of reasons that we come. Um, but that's kind of the the magic of it is that, like, you know, we kind of work through some of our, our initial, yeah, maybe discomfort in our body and then we kind of break in, but then we, we kind of start to have this totally different experience. So it's, it's, it's kind of sneaky. <laughs> you know, we, 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 and, and that's, that's really what's wonderful about it. It's like wherever you're at, there's a way in. Um, and, um, it will give you what you seek. It's like, you know, some people are just really dedicated and, you know, they're going to get mm. some interesting insights and some interesting benefits. But, um, you know, no matter where you come, wherever you come from, it's going to, it's going to meet you where you're at. And so um, I think that's really wonderful, uh, you know, because, um you know, we come for one thing and we get something so much better than we ever could have imagined. And so um, that's another one of those, you know, really wonderful blessings that yoga is. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think in our society, we live in, you know, a very materialistic society. We live in a very um, society that really thrives on us not being satisfied and happy. Um, you know, this is kind of a set of practices and a way of life that, that helps fight back that impulse by our, uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important now that we have tools so that we can, um, be calm under stress, that we can, uh, have an independent, opinion on what's going on with us um there's so many things pulling at us and trying to convince us of this or that and Mm. and yoga kind of gets us to this place of clarity and this place of being able to um really see things as they are Mm. um and so you know i'm i'm not as interested in what yoga isn't as i am 
just all of its potential. And at this time in kind of where we're at in the evolution of human beings and, and our thinking and our consciousness, it seems like the right set of tools to get us to where we need to go. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, we're seeing this kind of impulse to, to go further away from this idea of union and further away from this harmony, you know? Um, so, um, I, I, I feel really lucky that we we've been given this, um, you know, and, and it's only going to expand. I mean, I started working in 2012 on this project and I, and I finished the photography five years later, just in that time alone, Yoga went from about, at least people that identify as doing yoga in the United States, um, from just over 20 million to like 36 million in just those five years. Um, when I was in China doing work, um, you know, the man who owned the yoga studio told me that yoga is expanding in that country at 20% annually which is kind of hard to fathom. Um, you know, maybe those are just the numbers based on his experience with the studio. I can't verify those countrywide, but 20%. Um, I mean, that kind of growth is unheard of in almost anything. And so um, what we're seeing is, is like as things ramp up and become more and more intense and more stressful and more just hard to make it through, that um, people are finding ways to, to return inside and return to peace and return to um, this place of stillness. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that's just the last five years. So who knows what's going to happen in, you know, five more years or 10 more years. Um, you know, I, I think, I think these, uh, these practices are extremely essential at this point in time. Mm. Um, and you don't really hear about that, you know? I mean, mm. what you hear about is, you know, what's going on right now in the Middle East or what's going on right now with our president or what's going on in all these different other areas. But it's like, this is also what's going on right now mm. on our planet. Mm. Um, and so this, this work has been really, for me, just kind of a revelation. Mm. Um, and um, it's it's made me see that oh the message we're being told about how things are is is just that's one aspect of what how things are but what, it's not the entire picture yeah. and that's the part that spreads the quickest because uh it has the the fear attached to it which gets people interested in reading about it and talking about it um but mm -hmm. what you're talking about doesn't have the sphere element so it's like and it's and this is something I struggle with 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 this podcast, and it's something I think about is that it's like how much do people want to listen to this stuff about uh, meditation and mindfulness and yoga if they haven't touched it, if they haven't ha found that sense of peace uh, that you're talking about, it might not be that interesting to them. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something I, I wonder a lot about. Um, yeah, I think one of the big challenges uh, to that is um, finding a language. Um, so that you can translate it so that it's understood, you know, I mean, if you talk in really um, esoteric or new age type terms, um, people are just going to be like, you know, tune out, they're not gonna, they're not going to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can, you know, communicate on a level where just, you know, any person can, can engage with it and understand it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the key. Um, one nice thing about photographs is that they can kind of cut through some of that. Um, there's something about visual communication and it does really, it kind of cuts through the need for all of the, the words. Um, it communicates so much more. And so um, that's one of the nice things about working with something that is, interpreted on all these other sensory levels, not just through the mind or intellectually, you know? What, uh, so uh, one of the biggest things when I first started teaching yoga, one of the biggest difficulties I had was that when I'm teaching yoga and I'm seeing the people's looks on the faces, when people enter a yogic or a mindfulness state, 
their faces go relatively blank and it's very hard to get any sort of feedback. You only get very subtle forms of feedback as to how you're doing. What did you notice about um, people's faces when they were doing yoga? Well, um, I guess I wasn't just focused on the faces. Um, I, I definitely had to be aware that um, me being right in front of you while meditating is going to potentially be a, a real distraction for them. And if they're on a retreat or they've taken all this time off of work to be in this particular place and I'm this guy with a camera right in front of them, um, you know, I've got to be respectful and be aware of not only how long is it okay, but like, do I need this picture? Mm. Is this picture going to convey what I'm trying to say? Um, you know, is a person with just their eyes closed enough? Mm. Um, you know, um, so that's not a real direct answer to that question. I, I, I found that there was a certain feeling more than just what I saw on the face, on the visage, um, a, a feeling of, of uh, presence and um, stillness, I would say. Um, but, but there were a couple of people that later after classes, you know, came up to me and wanted to talk or asked why I was in the yoga class or why I was in this particular place. Um, just because they were curious or because they were really annoyed by, uh, by me. Um, and they said, you know, that really was something I had to work through, huh. you know, in my meditation, you know, was, was, you know, having you there. I mean, and I work with pretty quiet cameras, pretty, you know, it's not like I'm like, you know, really being super loud, but, um, you know, it was something I had to work through in my, in my meditation was you being there for that period of time. Mm. And, um, and in some ways that's kind of how life is. It's never the perfect context or the perfect setting, um, you know, where everything's just right. And then we can be calm and still it's like, there's always a crying baby. There's always mm. something going on in our job or in our life. That's just like, you know, so despite all that, like, we need to find this place where we can just be. And um, so, so it's funny, because, you know, they were telling me how annoying it was. But in some ways, it was like, I was their little lesson for that little window of time where maybe for a minute or two, I was right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And um, they had to reconcile the fact that there was somebody with a camera. Uh -huh. And you know, the stories that they decided to make up around that and um, whatever their animosity toward me was, um, you know, and then like either let go of it or let it totally ruin their hour long yoga class because they decided to just kind of get in this feedback loop and, um, you know, fester on it, you know, and so, you know, we can do whatever um, we choose um, in that in a couple of instances, people, you know, did say that that wasn't okay, or I didn't really like that. Um, but generally, I don't think that was the case. I always had, you know, permission. And I think people kind of can sense your intentions with things, um, you know, and, and again, I was very aware of when to shoot, when not to and all that. Did you ever get a chance to uh, investigate yoga in the Sufi communities or people who are Sufis? You know, I didn't. Um, you know, that would have been interesting to me. I've, I've spent some time uh, in Turkey um, making photographs in, in some different Sufi areas, mm -hmm. um, but never specifically uh, related to yoga. And are you, are you now teaching yoga? Uh, I'm not teaching, uh, but I, there's a good chance that I will be in the future. Mm. Um, you know, I, I do, uh, I'm part of a training right now, so that would allow me to feel more confident and mm. prepared to teach. Um, and I do teach uh, some photography and photography workshops. Um, mm. 
so um, you know, I'm actually in the process of uh, planning one for next autumn, um, and I'll be teaching in India. So it'll be my first time teaching a workshop there, but it's you know a place that I've spent a lot of time working and getting familiar with culturally and in terms of the kind of ways of working. And so I'm really looking forward to teaching um, photography in this workshop. Um, and that's in the fall. And I think that there could be a chance that at some point I could incorporate these two yeah. you know, aspects into some materials, some courses or some retreats or some different things where there's a photographic component and there's a yoga component. You know, I don't know how big the audience is for that particular type of instruction, um, I, but I, I would think there might be some people into it. I, I, I agree. And actually, see, this is where a lot of the yoga is going, is getting more specific and more niche. Um, uh, a teacher here in San Francisco, Mark Morford, has started to uh, lead workshops for creative writing. Uh, so yoga workshops. And I myself, I was, I was, I, I just recently went to um, Mexico, where I was teaching Mexican yoga teachers how to teach yoga in English, um, and okay. I, have, I have a I have a keen interest in showing people or helping people understand that yoga and meditation can have benefits for learning basically anything. Um, and so I think there is a market, or maybe I'm just hoping there's a market for people uh, to learn other things with the help of yoga and meditation. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'm I'm very excited about it. But. Yeah, yeah. I think with regards to that, either writing or photography, um, I think that having a way to set yourself into a receptive mode, exactly. you know, where you where you can let things come in and um, and be just present and and kind of listening uh, is really huge. I mean, I think some of my um, inspirations and ideas for projects or aspects of projects come directly from just sitting still and, and, and being in that state. So I would say, yeah, for, for either photography uh, or writing, um, it's a, it's a great tool, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I think that's where, you know, even though, you know, David Bowie probably didn't talk about his yoga practice mm -hmm. or uh, his meditation, uh, I'm sure that there were times where he was just being still, being tuned in, listening, and words and lyrics and albums were just coming into him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, I'm, and so you can call it yoga, you can call it meditation, but there's a certain kind of thing where inspiration isn't going to come when there's a bunch of chatter in the way um, and inspiration isn't going to come when there's a, you know, uh, a lot of other narrative happening or filters over things. So, um, so I think, yeah, you're, you're right on. I'm sure. Well, how was the workshop for you? I mean, oh, it was great. I mean, and I feel like it, it, it I feel like it, the people who went to it really enjoyed it. And basically mm -hmm. we we would do five to 10 minutes of meditation uh, in the beginning, do some yoga, I do some asana, and then, uh, and then we would start learning and particularly for languages. I mean, when, when, when you look at the, the, the traditions of meditation and, and yoga throughout India, uh, when they, in, in Buddhist time, basically the way they would transmit the languages before writing was through chanting and repetition um, and all of these different things. So like meditation has always been kind of tied to this, this language learning. Um, mm -hmm. and, so for, and for my own, my own practice and everything like that, I speak, I speak three other languages that I learned after um, uh, in my twenties basically. And meditation uh, was a key component for me to be able to learn those languages. So I, I, I think there's a direct link, um, but yeah. 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 I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so we've got about five minutes left. Uh, how can people find you or interact with you or find your work? Yeah, well, the best way is to go to andyrichterphoto.com. So that's A-N-D-Y-R-I-C-H-T-E-R-P-H-O-T-O.com. Um, there's also a blog where, where I kind of keep people updated on things. Um, you can learn about my 
you know, workshops and the book of Serpent in the Wilderness. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm also on Instagram and through Facebook too. Uh, uh, Andy Richter photo is the Instagram handle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm pretty easy to find really. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, you know, based in Minneapolis, but do spend quite a bit of time, you know, traveling, but even today, you know, it's pretty easy to be reached anywhere I am. So, um, and when are your, yeah, next, I, when are your next exhibits, um, or where can people find you around the country? What, what's your travel schedule? Like if you want yeah. that information public? Yeah, I just, um, closed two exhibitions, one at the Minneapolis photo center and one in Portland, Oregon. And, um, there was an upcoming one that opens on June 1st at the Vermont Center for Photography in Brattleboro, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And um, that will be running for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm planning on flying out for that. So I'll be in attendance at the opening, which is from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. on June 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day I'm gonna give a, a talk about the exhibition and um, and sign some books and just kind of be be there to support kind of the the launch of this this new show. Um, it's a pretty good size show. It's uh, twenty pieces and and I think you get a real different sense of the work when you get to see it at its full proper scale. Mm. You know, in the book, that's one kind of experience. It's more intimate, and I would say that it's a great. Um, container to tell the narrative that I wanted to tell um, about yoga but the exhibition has its own kind of qualities because you can kind of go into the pictures and really immerse yourself Uh, some of the prints are quite large and it's just a it's just a really different experience to be in front of those uh, pieces um, you know where you can kind of enter in. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to that show in Vermont. Um, there's a couple other pending projects in a couple different other parts of the country, but right now I can't tell you mm. that they're confirmed or anything like that. Um, the workshop I'm teaching is a two week long workshop in November. Um, it's in India, as I said, it starts in Delhi and ends in Delhi, but we're going to be going to a lot of really interesting places that, I've worked for my yoga work, but then also we're, we're hitting some kind of the iconic things like the Taj Mahal and we're going to fly over Jaipur in a hot air balloon. And, uh, go, we're going to go to the Pushkar Camel Fair for a few days and do some work where people in the desert of Rajasthan are wheeling and dealing uh, over livestock. But visually, I think it'll be a really amazing uh, journey. So I'm really looking forward to that um mm. as i said it's my first workshop in india but probably won't be my last mm. so um, i'm looking forward to kind of um starting and, and seeing where it where it goes from here this has been amazing <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us and and uh, i really love what you're doing and i want a lot of people to know about it yeah thank you Stuart. i'm really grateful for the opportunity and um you know, anyone out there, just please reach out if you need to connect or need books or or anything related to my work. So.